Hi, my name is Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design with RMIT University. And today I've got a couple of architects, uh, David and Jackie Wagner, personally partners and also in business. The practice is called Atelier Wagner. Welcome to the program, David and Jackie. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks for Stephen. Um, I've, I've covered a, a number of your projects over the years, but you seem to have built up quite a, a repertoire when it comes to heritage work uh, with churches, with cafes, with lots of buildings. And I'd have to say, looking at your work, Jackie and David, you go for a very seamless approach. Almost the new work is like a shadow of the, from, you know, behind an original building that's kind of hovering very quietly. Um, maybe Jackie or David, tell me why you take that approach and because it's not always the usual thing to do. Often people take something and make it really bold and do a strong juxtaposition between past and present. Why do you go for that approach and what do you hope to achieve? Well, I, I suppose most of our projects are actually extensions or modifications to existing. And that's something we're quite proud of, that we're working from an existing context, whether it's historical or it's simply the, the context that, that we all, all uh, live within. So I think that's actually the starting point for nearly all of our projects. And what we're really conscious of is to actually work from uh, an existing starting point rather to impose a view to actually use that context and actually build from it. We're commonly working with communities and with those communities, there's a, there's a heritage, both a historical heritage, but also a cultural heritage that we're working from. And there's, we're trying to develop, I suppose, an empathy with those communities that actually shows a respect for what's gone before us. So that the next step is literally the next step. And it's often with institutions, these institutions might've been around for 150 years. So it's just another step within yeah. the, the history of those, uh, those cultures. I, I think David's hit the point on the head. It's about a continuing dialogue rather than severing the past and perhaps throwing something bold and different. I'd like to think that our work has um, its own sort of integrity and it has a strength, but it's a companion piece rather than something dominating or interested in that sort of continuity. So, Jackie, it's... With many architects, you know, particularly uh, those working today, there is that desire to create a statement. You know, they want to be build up a name through their work. So if it's an older building, they often do something quite strong just because they kind of, you know, they feel like they want to make their own mark. So I suppose from where you and David are coming from, Jackie, it's almost that sense of modesty that you don't want to overpower something that's already made a statement 100 years ago or however long it was. Yeah, uh, look, I don't think our work is subservient. Uh, well, sometimes it is. It depends on the context. But it's, it's more as a companion. And we quite like um, the, the quietness to enable people to discover and inhabit rather than sort of pushing it down their throat. So I think it's perhaps a... 
personal approach. I think also, Stephen, an important part of this is actually a reflection of how we design buildings. And we design buildings as we wish people to experience them. So it's not so much about standing in the car park, looking at the building and appreciating it. It's about movement through the spaces. And that is absolutely fundamental to how we design buildings. And that means that the space works is most, is most potent when you actually move through the space spaces and experience that sequence. And that sometimes means that the external expression doesn't need to be dramatic because the drama is actually the way you, uh, you experience the, the, the place. Let's look at a recent project. Um, it was originally the courthouse in um, Port Melbourne in corner of Bay, and Bay Street and Graham Street in Port Melbourne, um, a beautiful um, uh, older building from I think it was the 1850s from memory, um, and it's an interesting case. It's a heritage-listed building, but what's so lovely about it, it's, it's really deep, it's very raw. I mean, for people walking into that space, the walls are heavily cracked. Um, there's that really rich patina there, but that takes a certain client to be brave enough to say, look, we'll expose everything rather than conceal. How, you know, obviously having the right client in this instance who kind of could see what you were trying to do made a big difference. Yeah, look, I think as much as anything, what we're showing is, is actually a respect for the, the, the building and the heritage. I mean, this is a J.J. Clark building from 1860. J.J. Clark was a, a very well-known 19th century architect who did some um, lovely work, including the old treasury building. And this is a, is a lovely little example. It's a building that suffered a bit over time and uh, has had a, a few changes made to it. The project was a, a wonderful opportunity to actually give it a real sense of purpose. Uh, I think it sort of wandered around with uh, all sorts of uses from government offices to church to uh, nursery to, to restaurant and so forth uh, over the period since it was a courthouse. And this was a great opportunity to actually dedicate it as a restaurant and utilise that, that wonderful uh, dining hall space as it is now as, as the principal space. And by respecting and revealing the timber, I mean, J.J. Clark was a fantastic architect, did some beautiful work. So revealing all of this actually means we can take advantage of that and actually contribute that to the spaces and that the diners or the patrons can actually enjoy those, those yeah. qualities now. Yeah, I, I think that it's... Um it's a quiet space as a restaurant and it's something that people go to and they're having that restaurant experience. The patina um, provides a sort of like a, a story uh, that is talking about interventions, age, it's quite romantic. Um, and so it's, it's that sort of presence of both the past and the superimposition of the, the moment now um, creates this really interesting dialogue and ambience in order to dine in. So it's part of that storytelling and that experience that I think the sort of ruinous stage is quite wonderful and profound. Jackie, on that point, you know, when you watch programs like Restoration Australia, uh, you know, they do reinstate everything generally uh, you know, fireplaces are replaced with a new, you know, with new fireplaces. And, but in this restaurant, 
um, you've just got a hole in the wall. It's almost like a smudge on that vast cracked wall and it's a fireplace. And how, mm-hmm. how tempting is it for an architect to say, oh, look, we should put a, an overmantle around because, you know, in 1860 when Chuck Clark was uh, designing this space, it actually came with a mantle. But you have chose to leave it almost like a, a memory spot. And so... Mm-hmm. That's a lovely sign for me. I would prefer to see it just left raw, but a lot of people wouldn't get it. They'd say, oh, look, Jackie and David, you need the overmantle because, you know, where's the marble overmantle because it would have had one originally. And I also think this is a Heritage Victoria registered building too. I think that's um, worth mentioning. And Heritage Heritage Victoria had a very stern and, and careful, detailed overview of everything we did there. So they would be quite aghast, I think, at the idea of actually recreating historicist elements. So uh, I think that comes out of the respect of the building that it sort of that aligns with our view is that we want to respect the authenticity of the elements. And that means that we can't just recreate uh, items uh, to, to create the wall panelling, for instance. You can see there's a shadow on the wall where the wall panelling has actually departed sometime in the past and uh, so that's, that's an element that's gone too, but we haven't tried to recreate that. And I think that, that Pyrenaean sort of feel to the, the space gives it a really pot- a great potency about its last 160 years that it's been about. So I think that's really something to enjoy. Yeah, I, but I think you do make a valid point there, Stephen, that architects do play a fairly a tightrope sort of balancing act between when to reinstate and restore and when to just leave the scars of history. Um, and it's not necessarily a straightforward decision, um, but it's something that we take each moment on its own and then make that decision. And how, I mean, obviously the client uh, obviously is an important part of this whole mix. If he or she says, oh, look, I want an overmantle, you know, I just feel like it's not finished, um, it's not really his or her decision at the end of the day when it's something so heritage, so well uh, in heritage protected, that person can't really make that call anyway. It has to come back to Heritage Victoria who says, well, no, that's the way it's going to be. Mm. We can't reinstate things that aren't original. Yeah, there are there are different ways around that. I mean, there's I mean, the Baratata has quite a dis- discernible sort of list of ways, but then there's and also artistically how you might do it. If, if it's, it's insisted that there needs to be an overmantle, then it almost could be like a ghost in front of it. So there's, you have different techniques in a way of still being authentic and designing to respond to a client's needs. What, you know, it's, you've done a number of projects, also a number of houses that are fairly, um, fairly adventurous. I mean, there was a house in Paran, I think I saw at one stage that was quite mm. adventurous. Uh, how difficult is it getting adventurous clients now to really uh, take the journey and, and you know, and when do you realise the, the relationship's working and when is it a matter of, you know, trying to pull people over the line in a sense? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you're right that um, 
that getting the right client architect and also builder relationship makes the difference for a project. The one you mentioned in Pram was really quite uh, a spectacular uh, terrace house project where the client was really enthused to actually pursue details and the quality of detailing there, which is enacted by the builder, but obviously we designed it, was really quite special. And we fitted a phenomenal um, program into really quite a tight space from car stacker to, to swimming pool. And I think the whole site was five metres by 24. It was a two-storey house. And the, the detailing within it means that there's a fair amount of flexibility of spaces. There's a fair amount of flexibility of uses. So, and I think this probably uh, infers almost um, the segue into another aspect of our work is that we try to make projects as flexible as possible and able to accommodate um, activities rather than designating specific um, uses for spaces. And obviously swimming pool and the garages are reasonably specific, but um, equally, I think, with a lot of our institutional, institutional work, that capacity to be able to actually have differing uses happening within the same space is quite intrinsic to the way we're designing it. And it's a, a very different way to the approach of uh, architects of an earlier era when programs were very specific to the spaces. In our experience, and, and I suppose in our sort of design ethos, we really apply quite a, uh, I suppose the spaces become like stages for, for people to experience and enjoy and have that sort of juxtaposition of activities. Now, at this question, you know, you might find this a bit hokey, this question. It's not meant to be, but I, I think it must be interesting for husband and wife also to be working so closely on each project. And so how does that work as a team? Like, do you kind of bounce ideas across from each other or do you kind of... Uh, handball certain projects to one and then the other one looks at another one or do you is it you know just a way of you work closely together and you you very much crit you know you it's a crit and you kind of don't rip each other to shreds but you kind of you stand back and you you can kind of say well look my strength is this and your strength's that I mean how does the the relationship or the process work David and Jackie well, I think um, the way it works is that we work, we, every project we work together on. So there aren't, there aren't projects in the office that is handballed to one person or the other. So we always work together. And we find architecture is not just complex, but it has a great aspiration to be complex and actually have uh, qualities that can be uh, imbued in us. But they require a lot of thinking. And, and we find that actually bouncing ideas off each other is one way of actually building up a project. So the way we would traditionally work is one of us would start drawing something and then the other would look at it and start modifying it and then hand it back to the other. So we have this sort of iterative process where we don't sort of sit in a room and brainstorm so much as we tend to do it through drawings. And it's, it's a quick process. It's like a never-ending quick process. So you're always trying to do something that's good enough so that the other one doesn't make quite as many modifications perhaps, <laughs> but actually, actually can actually add quality to it. So it's probably a little unusual to other 
practices in that respect, but it's very much we work together on, on everything. Yeah. And our, our exploration is through drawing. So, it's you know, often we're working with existing buildings and existing sites, so there's a huge amount of drawing that goes along with that. And as you're spending time with it, you're understanding it, understanding the existing nuances and what's happened in the past and how that is both either positive or negative and where we might be able to take the next step in the story and quite often each of us will see different things um, and that the solution through that collaboration becomes apparent but it's, it's not necessarily um, nice and easy sometimes it's a, it's a tussle but it, I think it makes it better for that because we're always having to justify you can't just sort of leave something a bit unresolved because the other will definitely pick it up. What do you think, Jackie and um, David, what do you think are the most challenging things facing architects today? And, you know, you've been around, you've, your practice has been going for a number of years. What are the things that you, you're probably seeing today? I mean, are people expecting too much for their budgets? Are they just, um, you know, <laughs> looking at things on television and saying, we want this, we want that, and, you know, they don't really get the brief right? What are the things that you're finding the most difficult to deal with at the moment, apart from COVID, which everyone's been, it's very yeah. difficult, but I in just, terms of the, 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 what people are wanting now? I think that's a funny question because you start reading Mises van der Rohe's biography and you find the same sort of discussion about, you know, clients not having enough money or materials or builders or whatever. <laughs> so I think it's an age-old story. Yeah. But there are, there are, there are yeah, I think you're right, though, equally, that uh, the, the social media, the television, I mean, Instagram, continually getting images coming through of various architects' work, designers' work, fashion work. Uh, images are coming through not just once a night when you sit down and watch television. It's coming through all the time. So I think that does create expectations which architects need to respond to. But the other aspect that's, that's a challenge today is, is our sort of general direction on sustainability. Once upon a time, architects would love to, to knock down a building and build a new building in its place. And now we're working much more with existing buildings, much more with how to make use of embodied energy and then conscious that materials, if they come from the other side of the world, have to travel all of that distance, the energy that's used and different materials. So I think all of that's become more com complex and then overlay that with the bureaucracy that really is uh, significantly increasing as we're all experiencing in every aspect of life. So I think the bureaucracy is probably the challenge. Um, the other aspects, you know, like, you know, working with an environmental design philosophy and also sort of client expectations, there's, there's positives with that in that they're more educated and aware and quite happy to push, push boundaries. The, the challenge is when the budget and the expectation don't meet, but you just you work through that. And I think really a lot of these sort of challenges can, can actually lead to a positive direction. Um, the bureaucracy is just hard work. Um, look, I think, you know, the problem is at the moment, at the way I see it, is that, there, as you said, there's a lot of images, a lot of uh, people to look at things um, and a lot of 
people wanting everything. And, it, you know, often, you know, does it really enrich your life to have a home theatre when, it, you know, <laughs> part of the pleasure is actually going out and being in a cinema with others? Um, you know, I, I think, you know, probably COVID's thrown up a lot of things at the moment that people are starting to say, oh, we need a wellness centre at home. Mm. We need a, you know, a relaxing centre, a meditation centre, a gymnasium. I mean, aren't these just things that we seem to be wanting now because we're just coming out of COVID? Or is it something that you think is going to be a long-term thing that, you know, these wellness centres at home and God knows what yeah, else? I, yeah, I actually don't mind that. It's... Um, we're creating space and volumes, and I think how people inhabit that will change over time. So if you take a snapshot of that building solution now, yes, it might be a home TV or wellness centre or whatever, but it could be a whole new flat in the future. So, you know, if you think longer term and you're building a space that um, can perhaps is beautiful to inhabit or has some sort of quality and that it will evolve and adapt and change in the future. So I don't care what they put in there. Um, look, it's been lovely speaking to you uh, both, David and Jackie, and look forward to seeing what else you have coming up as we go forward. And, um, uh, look, I think those who haven't been to that cafe in Port Melbourne should go and have a look. It is quite special. And um, uh, look, it just has that lovely uh, old feeling that you feel it's just been there for years and, and it's not tricked up. And I think that's what's lovely about um, uh, that place and a lot of your other work. It's kind of very authentic and very honest. And, um, and I think as we go forward, people will be appreciating appreciating that a lot more so um, look thanks so much for coming on the program today you've been listening to Stephen Crafty Talking Design is produced by RMIT University and brought to you in partnership with Melbourne City Council if you'd like to stay up to date with all things Talking Design be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Talking Design underscore <laughs>